0: This podcast is offered through the Sacred Community Project, an interspiritual collective working to lower the barriers of access to contemplative and devotional practices. Through the universal teachings of love, service, remembrance, and truth, SCP utilizes modern technology to promote eternal values. Learn more at sacredcommunityproject.org.
1: Welcome back, everybody. This is Hari with the Sacred Community Podcast. The Sacred Community Podcast is a gathering of interviews, lecture question question and answer, meditations, uh, live music sharings, and much more. This episode features SCP and Kripa's very own Sita Ramdas. Sita Ramdas was a caregiver for Ramdas on Maui for over two years. He is now the director of of the Sacred Community Project and a member of the Kirtan Collective Kripa, Sita Ramdas is a licensed clinical social worker, and if you haven't had the chance to uh, sing or be with him, it's just an incredible bhakti. We'll definitely be diving into his time with Ramdas, the Bhakti Path, and um, getting to actually hear about you know what the beginning of his uh, spiritual journey looked like and all the twists and turns um, that it took that finally got him to where he was a caregiver for Ramdas. If you haven't had the chance to check out his book, Fun and for God, that is available in the SCP store. And uh, my favorite offering, I think, and the, his newest, is the Exploring the Hanuman Chalisa audiobook, which I just cannot recommend enough. He goes line by line through the Chalisa and... Unpacks all the stories, the mythologies, uh, connects all the little dots that if you've ever wondered, what does that line mean or what's that referring to? This is the resource for you. So uh, also one thing to note is this was such a great interview and it went on for a considerable amount of time. So we're going to split this episode up into two parts. So this will be part one um, of a two-part series with Sitaram Das. And without further ado, uh, allow me to bring in SRD. I'm here with my uh, beloved bandmate, Sitaram Das. Hey. Sitaram Das uh, was a former caregiver of Ram Dass'. Um, and let's see, how old were you when, you when you first went out there?
0: Yeah, so that's the part where my memory gets a little bit fuzzy sometimes. I was... I just turned twenty-four when I moved to Maui. Yeah.
1: How didn't how did that come up? Like what inspired you? Um, like how did you first start getting into Ramdas? Um, what inspired you then to go out and just completely redirect your life?
0: Yeah. Well, I got into Ramdas first when I was 21, I think is when I first came across Be Here Now. And it was when I was 20 is when I first started getting into spirituality and exploring different religious traditions. It's also when I started experimenting with psychedelics. And that just kind of grew over time. And then by the time I was... 21 kind of just became a full-time just fascination you know I was just really devouring any book I could get on weekends I was going on you know various psychedelic trips I was experimenting with different spiritual practices like meditation and and all of this is you know I was I was in college at the time um in fact I got so into it I you know i I almost didn't make it through college i actually failed my last latin class of my last semester and it was a required class wow and i just decided that just wasn't worth it and i was just going to be done and if i didn't graduate it was fine and uh they ended up passing me which um i mean i like totally failed it i got like an f and they just bumped my grade up to a c um (laughs) which was kind of, you know, at that time, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of starting to fall away from just mainstream things in general. And that was kind of another nail of just realizing that like even our college system education was just kind of a joke. Like the fact that like they would just pass me for no reason because I needed it to graduate. And, uh, and then, you know, I just kept experimenting and, and doing different things. And, and over the time, just got gradually more and more and more into Ram Dass's books,
1: hmm.
0: and I would have been 23. I was living in Seattle, and it just hit me just one day that of all the people I wanted to meet, like of all the people I was inspired by, you know, people like Aldous Huxley and Allen Ginsberg and Timothy Leary and just all those kind of people, Robert Anton Wilson, all the people from that generation of them, the person at the top of that list that I wanted to meet was Ramdas, And he was actually the only person among them all that was still alive. Mm. And yeah. And I Kinda just narrows
1: your choices a little bit. Yeah. Well, but it also,
0: he was, he was, a, he was also the top of the list, you know, even, right. even if they had all been alive and, um, And so it just planted this seed that I just really felt like I had to meet him. And I told a friend this, who I was living with at the time. And he was like, well, let's just, you know, we looked it up and found out that he was living in Hawaii. And he said, well, let's just go to Hawaii and we'll just meet him. And and we looked at plane tickets, and we saw there was round-trip plane tickets for $260, um, which was, you know, I, I I mean, maybe now with everything going on, they're that cheap. But um, I'd never seen tickets that cheap either since then or before then. There was a small window of time, and we were just so caught up in the moment, we just bought them. And we didn't have any connection. We didn't know anyone. I mean, there was nothing about it that made sense.
1: Hmm. Um, and- And what were you doing during that time, like right before, I mean, I feel like you kind of going to Ramdas is like the tipping point. So like before, before that moment, what kind of things were you experiencing in your life and like what kind of kept that drive moving or yeah, like what was going on?
0: That's a good question. Yeah. Well, so let's see. Um... So this would have been right now. I think we're in April, the month of April, and so you know that year, starting when I moved back to Seattle, it would have been the previous September, and so from then till April, I was doing things like you know I'd done my first ten-day Vipassana sit. I was seeing a like a spiritual energy healer in town that was training me in all sorts of different healing arts. I was going and seeing shamans. I was just really experimental. I was even going to see psychics and tarot readers. And I mean, just, you know, I was really like deep in it. And I also, I didn't necessarily have specific directions so was very just open and experimental and just kind of wanting to devour anything I could Um, I did the 10-day master cleanse Um, you know just stuff like that I did that mostly because I want to experience what a fast was like Um, yeah so I mean that's what I was doing and I was also working a job I was working in a group home for you know kids with like behavioral issues Um, yeah. So it's kind of the backdrop of the things I was into at the time.
1: Hmm. All right. So you, you get your ticket and you go out to Maui just kind of with, with the let's go meet Ramdas. And so then what happens?
0: Yeah. Well, so, so we get the ticket and we get it for the end of May was when the ticket was for. And, um, Right. And nothing about it made sense. I didn't have any connections or anything. And so I decided that maybe I should try and contact someone and see if it was even possible, you know, just reality kind of hit. And so I sent an email to like, I don't know, info at ramdas.org, like whatever email I found on the website. I love that we
1: can share this now Like after his passing, like we would never just be like, Yeah, just you know, email info
0: both Ram and maybe come on out. Yeah, um, so I emailed them, I didn't get a response, um, but this really far out thing happened, and so around the same time as I was getting like reading all the ramdas books, and I was reading Miracle of Love for the first time. I also started listening to Christianos on Pandora because um, mm. it was before Spotify. Shout out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I had no idea that they had the same guru. I had no idea that they even mm. knew each other. And so we're watching Fierce Grace, which I hadn't seen yet. It's now the mm. beginning of May. And, um, in the movie Krishnanas is obviously in the movie and he actually talks about being on the bus mm-hmm. um and it just totally blew my mind you know just the fact that he was there on the same bus as Ramdas and that whole pinnacle story of you know Maharaji knowing you know where they're going to be before they are and all these things and and so it i just had this moment of just feeling like like, I don't know, just there was some synchronicity there. And so then after that, I look up to see when Krishnas is coming to Seattle, where I was living in a Kirtan. And he was coming the day before I was supposed to leave to go to Maui. Um, And in that moment, I just knew that it was going to work. Like, I just knew mm. that mm. it was meant to be, it was like my own personal bus story. Um, And so I went. And so then after that happened, I wrote another email to the foundation and i just said i just reminded them and then that time i did get a response and it was mike crawl who wrote because really? at that point in time that, like mike crawl was like managing the the heart to hearts i think and i mean you know he he had way more hats than. Hmm. and uh he just said you know i passed on your information but ramdas is busy and we'll see but i just knew it was gonna work and so I went and I saw Krishnas and then the day after I flew to Maui with my two friends and we hitchhiked and slept on beaches and we just waited around for the call. And which is
1: amazing though cuz come on like that's not that's not a common story anymore. Like if you heard that in the 60s or the 70s like yeah like that makes sense but
0: I mean that was that was pretty renegade. Yeah, I just I mean, now it seems so far out because I, I just, I'm not, I don't know if I'm the same person now or whatever. I don't know if I would do that again, but I, I just, yeah, I just really felt like I had to do it. And it was also, I mean, you know, before I'd moved back to Seattle, I was living out of my car in the desert, New Mexico for a few months, um, solely doing my spiritual work and, um. You know, I did a tree sit in Berkeley. Um, I lived, you know. All right, for those who don't know what a tree sit is. <laughs> yeah, so there's, I mean, this is a sad, it's a failed tree sit story because they ended up cutting the Oak Grove. But there's an Oak Grove in the city of Berkeley. It was next to the their sports stadium. And the school of Berkeley wanted to cut it down. But the city of Berkeley had an ordinance that said that you know, oak trees of a certain size can't be cut down, hmm. and but that's, pretty because, cu- that's pretty clear. It's pretty clear, but the school gets to bypass it because they follow state law. I don't know, but anyway, a group of anarchists hippies um, went up, and they created kind of this Ewok village up in the trees, and everything was connected by ropes, and you wore these harnesses. And no way, Um yeah, it was. So I was, I had just come back from living out of my car in New Mexico for a few months where I was just solely focused focused on trying to figure out my spiritual life. And I was on my way back to Seattle and um, I just saw them and they said, do you want to come up? And I didn't, you know, I didn't have any directions. So I went up and lived with them for a week. Um, (laughs) That's actually how I learned to chant OM for the first time amazing see it all happens it's, it's all <laughs> the the, so anyway so i mean i you know so can't, sleeping on the beaches and hitchhiking like that like right. at that time in my life that was kind of par for the course that was just wednesday <laughs> 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 but um but we did get the call and Dasima called us and we went to the house and i was there with my two friends we were on the the back lanai and you know the back patio porch and you know ramdas his room is up a flight of stairs in the house and so and he's in a wheelchair so uh, to come down to that back lanai he has this like wheelchair elevator thing Mm -hmm. and so we sat there as you know ramdas descended down from the heavens in his wheelchair and and it was it was everything it was I was meeting my spiritual teacher. I was like in awe. I just, he was glowing, you know, there was this real Mm. papal thing, but then also it was like meeting a rock star or something, you know, I had all Mm. of the, Mm -hmm. the timid, like teenager feelings of, you know, meeting, you know, like whatever, you know, your your rock star idol. Like all of that was just circulating in that moment.
1: When you say that you were meeting your spiritual teacher, um, what did that mean to you then?
0: And what does that mean to you now? Yeah. Yeah. What did it mean then? I mean, then, you know, I didn't, I don't know if I knew what it meant then. I, you know, I, yeah, it was just, it was, then it was just a feeling, but at that point I'd read almost every one of his books and Even though I was going there to meet him, you know, kind of the conversation I had with my friend where that came out is I actually told him that I wanted to meet him so bad, I thought maybe I should just move to Maui because I saw that he gave talks sometimes there. And so Mm. so I thought if I was just living on island, maybe I'd get to see him talk. And I mean, so that was my thinking. So I don't know if I knew what it meant that he was my teacher. I mean, at that point, he was just a teacher, but he was Mm -hmm. still the most important teacher for me, and I did know that. Um, In terms of what it means now is... uh, I I, I still don't know what that means, honestly, but it feels way deeper and way more present in my Mm. body right now. I just, Mm. you know, especially you know, when he almost died, you know, last year and, you know, I wasn't able to go to Maui and and be with them and I hadn't really been at the house in a while and I hadn't been in regular contact with him in a while. Um, I just, you know, I went through this whole process of just, um, yeah, just really figuring what that all meant and like what he really meant to me. And, um, and really got clear on it actually before, you know, he did leave his body at the end of December, um, that he just really, he just is my root teacher. And, um, and I know that he's on his own soul's journey and his own being, but in my heart of hearts, like he's no different for me than the Maharaji. Hmm. Um, it's just, you know, I, the way I feel, when I look at him is the same way I feel when I look at Maharaji, like there's just, there's they're no different. So for me, like I look at his eyes in the picture right now, I'm, I'm looking at him and it's just, it's a straight doorway into God. And mm. so, yeah, I mean, I you know, how do you explain that kind of relationship? But, um, cause it's not, it's not just the teachings anymore. In fact, the teachings, right. I, those are even secondary. I, Mm-hmm. Um, I still enjoy listening to his talks, but that's not the level of him being my root teacher. So can uh, you explain what, what that is?
1: Yeah. Kind of the concept of a root teacher and your connection to it and your connection to Ram Dass in that way.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll start off by saying this, cause I, I would say this to people after I left the house and people would ask like, what was it like being with him? And, and, you know, w- when you're there, you basically go to every talk he gives and, you know, you're in charge of the managing the, the webcams and stuff. And so you're in the room and he gives all his talks over Skype to places. And and then I would listen to his talks all the time. And so I was steeped in his teachings while I was there. But and there was a few moments when he said certain things at the right moment. But mm-hmm. really, it was just being around him. Like he just held such a depth of presence in his being. And he just showed me that the teachings are real because mm-hmm. I got to see that he's a human being. You know, I got to see him go through the full emotional response of being human. I got to see him grumpy in the mornings. Um, I got to relate to him in an mm-hmm. interpersonal way like that. Yeah. Um, but through that, I saw that, you know, when he talks about that practice of being loving awareness, I saw that it's real and because he's human, it just made it so much more clear that it's, that it's our birthright and that we have access to that. Like right now that we don't, we don't have to wait for something. Um, the most important thing that he did for me was just to look at me unconditionally, like with unconditional love. Mm. Um, you know, I, You know, when we're at the house, we're we're more just of service and doing things, but most of us got to have at least one, one one-on-one with him. Um, Mm -hmm. It was normally in the beginning, right? It's Mm -hmm. normally how it went. Dude, how wild is that too? Like, it's so
1: funny. Like my expectations going in were so interesting. Like I thought that I was going in and like, we would be doing like morning meditation and like some kind of ceremony i didn't even know like rt i i knew nothing i did all my learning for the most part while i was there um and and then like having like yeah like dharma talks (laughs) like i figured like we would have dharma talks and stuff and um that was just that was not the the case and it's interesting i have the same thing when people start asking like so what did you learn there what was it like um. It was like a weird extraordinary normal life. But that like it, it's taken me pretty much I don't know like 6 years I think to like to finally start getting that like it was I mean it was the information but it was kind of a morph of being like yeah I was not a happy dude like I was not like a healthy healthy guy um and uh like within the first three weeks there I lost like 26 pounds and was just emotionally just going through it I I did the cleanse when I got to the house Dasima asked or it was the second day and she said we're gonna start a cleanse Ramdas. the whole house is doing a cleanse like do you want to do it and I was like uh okay and um Dude, it was like a purge. Yeah, but I wow. came, I came out of that, and like after like leaving the house, and like looking back all these years now, like one of the things that I recognize now is I learned how to be quiet, uh. and like how to, like anticipate people's needs better without them having to say anything. How to just kind of tune in to a room, um, and like I went from listening to like like gangster rap <laughs> and my chemical romance and like listening to that still like in the house, like in the shower and stuff like to, it's like when we were talking about in the car, uh, just like, uh, yeah, I just kind of listen to janting now and yeah. you, there's not much else that like, it just, I don't feel connected kind of any that, other way Yeah, so much.
0: That's interesting. So I had, so my preparation thing, so, The whole way that I got to move there was when we were with Ramdas. he said that like basically if I came to Maui, maybe that they always need help around the garden. So maybe there'd be something that I could do. It was like Mm -hmm. that. And that was enough. So I I dropped everything in my life and I moved to Maui. That was enough. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Maybe you could
0: work in the garden. (laughs) I found this guy in Paia that let me sleep on his back porch and I paid him a hundred dollars a month for, like utilities basically to use his kitchen and shower. And then I just started calling the house until finally Dasima Ma called me back and said I could come and garden. And wow. I literally thought I was going to be volunteering. Right. And uh, she ended up paying me. And then I thought I had it made. Right. Um, and so then. And what else do you want? Yeah. And so then shortly after that, I moved actually onto Twin Falls. Um, mm. I got this bamboo hut. Um, I was doing work trade there for this bamboo hut. I had no electricity and I just had my harmonium and Dasima was giving me like every Maharaji book from the house. And wow. So, and I just decided to commit. My goal was to learn the Hanuman Chalisa before I moved in. Um, wow. cause I knew nothing like, I, like literally my whole, I just thought if I learned it, maybe I could chant it for Ram Das. Hmm. Um, so I, so it's, so I got this kind of four month period of, um, like, that was like my kind of preparatory period so that when I came to the house, I was just a full on Maharaji devotee, mm. um, who chanted the mm. Hanuman Chalisa, mm. And so it's interesting. So I, so yeah, so my kind of preparation period happened, like I was a part of the house, but I hadn't moved in yet. Right. Um, but yeah, but just, and, but I had that same, I remember telling a friend, you know, I, I really feel like what I need right now is just someone to tell me what to do. And so mm-hmm. I, I, so I, I feel really like, you know, I'll go there and I'll have a teacher and he'll tell me what to do and I'll have some direction in my practice. Totally. And totally. then Ram Das never told me to do anything. Not a um, thing. In my heart to heart, he told me that I should read the Bhagavad Gita and mm-hmm. I told him I had, yep. <laughs> and then he said, you should read it again. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, Baba, I already did that. <laughs> yeah. So that was my, that was, I guess, an instruction, but, but he mm. was supportive. You know, I, they let me build a canopy structure at the bottom of the house, um, where I could keep up with my chanting practice and, um, you know, Ramdas was always very supportive of me doing that. Um yeah, it's just it's interesting. I mean, we all just we all just came there. I mean, exactly when we needed what we got. I mean, you know, I had a lot of my really difficult stuff I'd gone through, you know, before I got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of my kind of confused part of my spiritual searching and um but, you know cuz before moving in i'd already learned that you know i'd already learned that the god was real um and that we could have a personal relationship with that and and i you know i started to to understand you know a little bit experientially about just entering into that worldview of guru kripa right when I met Ram Das the first time before deciding to move there, he just said, you know, I told him my whole story and all the things. And he just said, well, you know, no one comes in front of me unless Maharaji sent them. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what that meant Mm
1: -hmm.
0: at all, but it -hmm. blew my mind (laughs) because he just, you know, he just sounded so certain. Oh yeah. (laughs) yep, Totally. And uh, yeah. And then that night I had, a dream of, uh, Maharaji. Um, Mm. and that kind of started, you know, was that your first? Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, before that, you know, I'd had a really strong connection with Christ. Um, Mm. and I was actively kind of engaging with that in the last year. Um, you know, it was kind of just an experiment on my consciousness and, what happened was that night I had a dream as I was falling asleep on the beach because, you know, we were still hitchhiking mm-hmm. and that was out in Hana um, where I saw Maharaji and in, in Christ next to each other. They were like hovering above the ground on the beach. Um, You know that point, like right when you're falling asleep where like the physical world there morphs into your dream world? Yeah, so it was like, it was like I was seeing it. I'm, I'm positive my eyes were closed and I was falling asleep, but it was the beach that I was laying on, and they were there, hovering off the ground, and they're shape shifting back and forth into each other's forms. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, and then from then it was like it was just the form switched for me because I, you know, the mm. the Christ form. I, I mean, I, I gained so much from it, but. Um, mm. I had issues with it because one, I never found an image that I liked. Um, and you know, I couldn't, re- I didn't find like other like followers of Christ that like totally felt, you know, mix, mix with my metaphysical worldview. Um, and then, you know, Maharaji just, he just gave me everything. But, um, yeah, I, but back to your thing about, you know, Ramdas being the root teacher. I just, I don't, he just, he taught me that unconditional love is real and that, and that it, it is actually at the core of each of our fragile human hearts. Um, and that is just the gift that keeps on giving.
1: So, I mean, especially anybody who's heard Ram Dass before, we've heard this a lot, right? But to experience it and to know it right is is a different thing so what is it that you feel or how do you know like what is that experience like for you
0: what that experience is like for me is that you know with all of the thoughts I have even my judgmental thoughts even my self-hatreds even you know I'm prone to I feel like we all have certain emotional states that we're more prone to than others, and for me, anxiety is one that comes easily, um, or anger, um, but anxiety even more so. Um, with the physical pains in my body, just that 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 it's possible to drop back, and that it can all be held in this container of loving awareness. And that it's actually just all okay, that I don't have to fight myself anymore. Um like I don't I don't have to wish that I was different or I don't have to I can let go of that inner struggle and that that truly every single thing that comes into our awareness is lovable because existence itself is inherently lovable and it's not something that's rational, it's not something that can be proven, but um but these spiritual teachings and Ram Dass's teachings, they're there with this kind of promise that that there's things that we can do that can help us remember. And for those of us who, if, if we've never had an awakening of that, um, there's things that we can do to start to taste that ourselves. Um, and then, you know, once we gain the first taste, that kind of helps us keep going for more. You know, that gives us a little bit more faith to keep going with the practices. And then over time, it just starts to feel rather than being a special thing, it's more just remembering, Mm. just remembering that basic truth of of love.
1: So what are what are the techniques um, and methods that you use to experience that and then to just anything that you do to kind of support trying to be more and more in that
0: awareness. So the easiest practices to talk about are the more formal ones. So even right now, I'm, I'm sitting in front of my puja table. And in fact, it, this is probably the number one practice that I feel like we all learned from Ramdas. Mm-hmm. Uh, was just because he had that glorious puja table, right? This altar that has all of these saints from all these different world traditions, and of course, you know, has a big picture of Maharaji on it. And but beyond that, you know, Ramdas also has basically pictures of either Hanuman or Maharaji on every single wall and every single room in his house. Yep, and I once asked him. You know, in, in the beginning, I, that's another thing I found that's kind of common among all this, is in the beginning is when we really have a lot of questions and then mm-hmm. um, eventually we realize that that's not really the heart of it. But one of my first questions was, like, so what does your spiritual practice look like now? And there was that long pause and Ram Das says, well, I just hang out with Maharaji. Yeah. And um Something as simple as a puja table, it, it's what facilitates that, um, right? So, um, by having these beings on my table, right now I'm looking at Hanuman and I have my big, beautiful picture of Ramdas and I'm Maharaji and I have Siddhi Ma. Um, I also have Krishna and Radha and I have Ganesha and I have Kali um, and I'm looking at a Shiva lingam. But these are all beings that that represent for me God, that ineffable presence that is the heart of my own being. And when I look at them, it serves as an instant reminder for my heart to be open. Hmm. Um, and yeah, they just, they hold that extra weight. And then, and there's things that we can do to bring kind of all of our body and our mind and consciousness into it. So, um, you know, my basic practice is to just chant in front of them, to just sing. And of course, the names that we're singing are the holy names. These are also doorways, these are names of God. And um, so that's like, you know, that's basic like practice. Um, But what it's facilitating is an inner practice of just recognizing that, um, that all of my experience everything in my awareness is God and that everything I can fall in front of and I can worship and that I can fall even madly in love with. Um, And so there's that inner, the inner practice and the outer practice. And sometimes the inner practice is a little bit harder to talk about. Um, But there's, you know, other outer practices that we can do throughout the day, like chanting mantra internally. Um, So, you know, I've been doing that now. Also, as I'm talking with you, just to keep me centered, right? I have my beads in my hand and um, just doing internal mantra. Um, and so those are the things I do to help me remember. Um, and but I also have kind of oriented my life. You know, at some point, um, in the first few months when I was there, Ramdas was skyping into. Um, Frank Oskazeski's death and dying group on the west coast, and you know Ram Dass would uh, was a part of that and would give talks to them. Mm-hmm. To, they were training for how to be bedside with dying, and um, Ram Dass said this many times. I'm sure he said this many times before then, and he said that many times after. But it was the first time I heard it when he said, "Your job, when you're with the dying person, is to be a loving rock, so the person can." push against you and pull against you and you stay rooted in love. Mm. And in that moment, every hair in my body stood up and I just knew Mm. that that's what I wanted to do with my entire life. Mm. Um, You know, so now I, you know, I work in mental health. I I work in, you know, public mental health. um, And my job is just to be present with people throughout the day. And um, I just, you know, I'm learning all these different techniques and all these different therapeutic modalities and all these different skills. But still for me, the pinnacle of, of, you know, what I want to do with another person is what Ram Dass did for me, which is just, you know, I got to feel in my own being what it feels like to be loved unconditionally by another person. And I know through direct experience in myself, how transformational that is. And so I have faith in that. And so that's, that's the practice that, I try and do throughout the day when I'm with other people um, because I, I see that it's, I mean, I believe in it and I care about them, but, but also I see that it's good for me. I mean, it's um, because it, it helps me try and fall back in loving awareness. You know, I've found that um, having some sense of duty or responsibility when it's not just about me, it, it helps me practice more. Um, and so that's something that I try and build into my life.
1: In in one of the the recent Ramdas uh, podcast episodes, he was talking about um, the the moment of transformation when he met Maharaji, and he said, "You know, it, it's been really hard to talk about, and and I really haven't talked about it for for decades of like what my actual path is." And um, my path of Guru Kripa, and um, where everything changed for him, where his orientation now shifted to to become uh, a vessel for for loving awareness and for God, and so that people could have that um, that moment of awakening, and um, as as he says so often, to come out and play.
0: Yeah. And
1: I thought that was just so like to have that be your life's mission and goal. And, and like he was doing a lot of practices and like they were hard. Like he was, he was, he was, he did the yoga, the yoga, the yogi life for like a long time. And I mean, I can only get glimpses into like some of, some of what he was doing. But um, I think about like what inspired him to keep going at. At least the root um, was t- to be able to offer that to the world. Yeah, and that yeah. was that was the first time I, th- I th- that I had heard him really like clearly articulate like I am doing this to try to like to be able to have somebody else like awaken in their heart.
0: Yeah, well, in in Buddhism, you know, bodhicitta. It's said that that's a prerequisite for enlightenment. So if if we're doing it just for if we're doing it just self centered, um, we're really just digging our hole deeper into our own ego. So Mm bodhicitta, I mean bodhicitta, that's the desire for enlightenment for the sake of all beings. It's it's really that sense of that we're doing it for other people and um, that we're doing it for us. And that's something that I just keep awakening to more and more, that it really, really does change everything. Yeah. Uh, I also think a lot, you know, because it really is the hardest thing to talk about is Guru Kripa. Um, But it really is the heart of it for all of us in our satsang. And it's interesting because... You know, Ramdas has done all these different practices over time, but you know, I've heard, you know, all these different talks, like even when he's doing all these different practices and and even if he forgot temporarily, it, it's pretty clear that he knew like the whole way, like what he was doing. It was it was all just oh, about totally. him getting himself closer to the guru, um, and just trusting his own intuitive heart, um, which that's you know that's what Guru Kripa is, and and that's the part also where there's it's it's both terrifying and full freedom because there's no rule book, you know, right. it, like Ramdas's path isn't going to look the same as yours or mine, um, except that our job is just to keep plumbing the depths of our heart as deeply as we can and listening as clearly as we can and taking that next step. Um, as faithfully as we can you know just trusting that that guru's wisdom and um and that's that's the whole thing but you know but kripa i mean that grace i mean it's you know because when i when i remember or i forget like there's a like the the mechanism of remembering itself is grace like it, it's it's this disruption of the the normal you know, ego function. um, There's no way that you can will that. Um, We can do things to set a context, right? By doing certain mantras or practices that will make it more likely that we're kind of grace prone, but even our desire to do those practices, um, where does that come from? And just, and the more and more that we just get to realize that, I mean, there's just this huge softening and just relaxing and just, um, it's just that realization that that we're totally safe. Um, and that doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen, or but but that we're totally safe, and and that God is is really here and is really guiding this whole thing. And it's just this. It's such a fierce and sometimes overwhelming realization that you could all you can do is just keep letting go into it because there's nothing else to do anyway um but yeah i i I mean how do you talk about that
1: well i mean and that that brings up an interesting thing just with our culture and surrender yeah and like yeah we're just we're not used to it and i mean i know for myself like that i mean that's basically the name of my game uh just can i surrender can i come out of judgment can I come out of desire like can I can I trust into the fact that I'm supported and I think the thing that keeps on driving me I mean is that grace for sure yeah um but also some of those experiences of when I have let go into the universe and have just felt more supported and more alive than I ever, than I do in my day-to-day, for sure, when when there is all that clinging. Yeah. And so that's, that's that, like, all right, like, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand at all. I don't understand who Maharaji is. I don't understand... City Mom was Ram Dass, like I don't understand myself. Um and I don't know, it it it's just kind of it feels like a a magnet. Yeah. And and it, and you just keep showing up and and that's the part that's given me the faith too, of like i I don't know what's going on and i keep showing up in positions and places with people who i mean it's it's kind of it's kind of one of our things when we all hang out um but at some point i'm just gonna look around and just be like god i'm so thankful for like all of you like you are all just so extremely dear to me um and I feel so graced to have you in my life. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think through, through I've felt I wasn't looking for love um, when I started with Ram Dass and I was looking for teachings. It's interesting. Now the thing that helps just keep me so involved and grounded and interested and kind of like explosive is, um, is the love and the connection that that I felt from the sat song, which which was another one of those surrender pieces of, of moving out of a space of judgment, um, and of of like who are these people? Like everybody here is insane. Like this is <laughs> this is a madhouse. Yeah, and um, it was funny. Like it just felt like there were like that I had the problem. <laughs> like everybody else seemed like kind of happy to to love and just be wild and uh yeah it took it took a long time to start to start like having value in that and in dying into it
0: yeah no but that's beautiful though i i was i was thinking while you're talking about when we were with in Santa Cruz with the Mirabai Star and Hunter Mundas and Rita Green mm-hmm. and um I said something about how I found that that faith and doubt can coexist simultaneously. And Mirabai Starr said something really interesting I've been thinking about a lot since then. And she says, yeah, that's true. And I would add that they actually have to. Um, mm. And I think that's actually the level where we get confused about surrender. Mm. And I think that's also the reason why you know, a lot of us get ourselves into trouble. I mean, you know, it's like every t- teacher's left and right and like every spiritual organization right now are having these huge abuse cases and all these things. Mm. And um, there's this level where it's like we want to surrender because we've got a taste of it and we think it's good for us. And then we kind of override our system. Um and then, you know, and then we kind of overlook all of the warning signs that are mm-hmm. there. Um, but but I think when we see the that kind of surrenderless surrender, you know, it, it it's really just like falling in love. You know, it's like you you can't help it. And um, like with my partner, you know, I've definitely fallen in love with her. Um, but my mind's still like. Has ways of having doubts about things. It's just that that deeper trust has been gained. That I, you know, I don't have to pay pay it much attention. Or, um, but that that's very different than than choosing to surrender um, and kind of overriding our system. And the fact that we have this faculty of mind that can doubt and that can even sometimes wonder if, like, what we're doing even make sense or not or you know if our spiritual community is crazy or you know who are these people who is city ma you know the fact that we have this doubting mind um it's supposed to doubt and the fact that we can also experience grace and this vast expanse of love beyond our wildest dreams even with our doubting mind i mean that's that's a, a miracle I mean it's it's a it's a truly just miracle of nature. Mm.
1: Yeah, so I'm just thinking about um all the all the cases and places where abuse has shown up and um where places where there hasn't been integrity, places where there's been tremendous pain and suffering and manipulation, and um, just, just yeah, like really bad acts, right? Violence, acts of violence. How, how do you not throw out the baby with the bath? How do you not um, go, you know what, like, this is the, this is the person, um, who was on this path. This is, I'm, I believed, I believed in all of this. Um, and like, this is what happens this is what it looks like. Um, yeah. What would you,
0: what would you speak to that? Well, I don't know that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, I think that, um, You know, I I think that there's people who, because they're taken advantage of, and they they gave themselves to these systems that, um, that, that they might decide that the best thing for them is to not engage with some kind of system like that ever again, um, to protect their own heart, and um, you know, I I know th- there's this, I've talked to people that you know, essentially become atheists, um, since, you know, being in systems like that and, um, their mental health is better now than, than it was before. So, Mm. so there's that element, but, but I think the reason why, um, people are able to take advantage of these systems is because of the fact that, um, a lot of us just have this yearning in the heart to give ourselves over to something pure. And, um, I don't know that we can will that to go away. You know, I, it, it really hurts my heart so much that there's people that, that abuse just the goodwill and the sincere seeking of other people. Um, um, mm-hmm. You know, and maybe, maybe we'd all be better off if we didn't have that. I mean, I don't know, but I don't know that you can will that to go away. All I know is that I just, the the first time that I gained a truth of the depth of my own being, you know, that ineffable presence, um, outside of my identification with my mind and my body, um, the first thought that came back into my being after having that experience was, I love you. And mm. it was just the purest thought. I mean, it mm. just—it was a natural thought and I just, I can't help it, but I am a devotee. That is my natural relationship with the mm. divine. And, um, yep. and a devotee just wants to worship. And so it's my job to find the purest forms that I can to worship. Um because and you know it's the job of a teacher to to be impeccable, you know, um, and so yeah, I mean it it's just the same way, like I mean we're all looking for love and in interpersonal relationships, and all of us have awful heartbreak stories, you know of past people that cheated on us or or whatever, and um. And yet we keep looking, you know, I mean, it's just um, and we keep looking because it feels worth it for us for some reason to keep doing that, and we keep hearing stories, and some of us have found it of you know that you can have good relationships um and so if that's true in the human realm, then um then what to say of God? so I think it's just a natural. I think some of us are just wired to look for f- forms of God that we can worship. And all I know is that I've gained everything from Ram Dass, and I am madly in love with him. Like I'm just in love with him. You know, I just, everyone has their own, you know, grief process right now of, of you know, him leaving his body. And, and I think everyone's is beautiful. Um, I just... I actually feel closer to him now than ever before. And whenever I bring his image to my mind, um, it just brings me so much joy. Like I just, my heart instantly opens. Um, I can't help that. And then on top of it, there's all these teachings from devotional literature that say, not only can't you help it, but if you want to, there's things that you can do to make your heart open up wider. Right. (laughs) And, I just, yeah, I just keep trying to drink the Kool-Aid.